Advent has started. Who's excited? Okay, that was a bit of a, a bit of a mixture of a of a response to that. I really love Advent. Um, it is a season of anticipation and expectation. That's what it is. Advent is a season of anticipation and expectation. And in recent years, I have grown more and more fond of it. Leaning in to the season of anticipation of Jesus' birth. And it's more than just like, um, I think before sometimes the run up to Christmas, I used to be thinking, okay, I'm just waiting until I can celebrate Jesus' birthday. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, we're going to get to Christmas Day and then we're going to like have, you know, we're just, it's like almost like we're sitting down having the dinner and we're going to like go, happy birthday, Jesus, woohoo! But actually, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than just this waiting to celebrate Jesus' birth. There's this anticipation as we read scriptures, as we read through the Old Testament, there's just this, there's this build up on this anticipation for the birth of Jesus. And over the past few years, I have really began to lean into this season, and it has just been so life-giving to me. Um, I normally buy myself a new wee Advent devotional that I can follow each year so that I'm just leading up to the main event, which is Christmas the 25th, when we get to remember Jesus' birth and all that that means, his arrival on earth and all that that means, not just then, but to us now. And you know, I, I lean into it because it helps me not get swept up in the whole pressure of gift buying and dinner planning. Who loves buying gifts? Most of us love buying gifts. Who loves choosing gifts? Some of you. I am awful at it. It stresses me out. It literally brings me out in hives. I get so stressed out trying to choose gifts for people. Like, I am literally like, and then I end up buying really stupid things. Like, one year for Secret Santa, Matthew, do you remember your Secret Santa gift? Yeah. Matty would go into Sainsbury's, and every time we'd go into Sainsbury's, he would hit the dancing Santa thing. So I thought, he loves us. He loves it. So one year for Secret Santa, or for Secret, yeah, Matthew got the dancing Santa. He was so disappointed. <laughs> it was like, so they've never let me live it down. It's like the worst. But I get so stressed out because I want to bless people. I want to get something that they're going to love. But sometimes, oh, sometimes I have got it so, so wrong. So we're, we're drawing our Secret Santa this, this weekend for, as a family. And I know that everybody is dreading getting me. They are just so hoping that it's Jason who's getting them or the rest, the other boys are great at the gift buying thing, but I'm just not so good at it. You see, we wait and we are still in this place of anticipation. We are still in a place of advent. We are still longing and waiting. Yes, Jesus was born. He died. He was resurrected and he ascended back into heaven, but we are still anticipating his return to earth his second coming, that will usher in God's kingdom in all its fullness. So at Advent, we get to join and remember this, this remembrance of waiting for the second coming. It totally changes it, doesn't it? So we're not just remembering that Jesus came, but we are waiting and anticipating his final return. Every time we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, we are ushering in that day. And we are praying with anticipation and expectation for that day to come. And there's some days, isn't there? There's some days it's almost like we can feel the world groaning and waiting for the return of Jesus. 
Do you know those days when you turn on the news and it's just horrific, heartbreaking devastation around the world and you're just like, oh Lord, come Lord Jesus, come is our prayer because we're like, how much more can we take of this? We want you to come, Lord. We want you to come back and make all things new like you've promised. And that's what we're anticipating. We're anticipating God's perfect shalom that will reign in the new earth. So the great massive Advent moment is actually still to come in the future. Both Old and New Testaments promise that one day the God who created the world will flood it with his glory transforming it so that it thrills and throbs with his love, justice, and peace. That is the promise from both Testaments. In the Old, this is seen in well-known Psalms, such as Psalm 96 and 98, and in particular, the great messianic vision of Isaiah 11. And this is what Isaiah 11, verse 6 says. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. This is talking about a time when all things will be made new. Could you imagine a time when the wolf will lie down with the lamb? Could you imagine that? Or the leopard with the goat? The calf and the lion? It's a time of perfect peace. Perfect peace. And in the New Testament, we see it in passages like Acts 1, Philippians 3, and of course in Revelation, which speak of the return of Jesus to put all things to rights. So in this season of Advent, we live in the tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Or put simply, we celebrate the anticipation and expectation of the first coming of Jesus. We, we celebrate his first coming, but at the same time, we're anticipating his ultimate return in the second coming. I love the feel of anticipation in the air at Christmas time. There's a lot of preparing to be done for Christmas, isn't there? I'm particularly looking at the woman maybe in the room. Maybe that's a wee bit sexist, but okay. Well, actually, this is not true because I bet you there's some of you men that have been sort of wheeled into like doing your kind of DIY stuff. How many of you are having to decorate for Christmas? No. Oh, I know that's... See, I'm terribly sexist, really, when you really break it all down. Maybe that's just, yeah, sorry. Maybe that's just because in my house, I cannot paint anything. I once tried to paint something and Jason said, never again are you lifting a paintbrush. But some, you know, we clear out rooms. We're getting rooms ready or getting cleared out maybe for guests. Maybe some of you are having extra guests over Christmas time. Or maybe some of you are just clearing out your wardrobes and your cupboards for more stuff to arrive. I don't know. And some of you might be planning a wee redecorate. We are, actually. Anybody would like to come redecorate our house? That would be fabulous. Jason's great with a paintbrush. He can help you. Anyway. And maybe you're looking at your calendars, and they might, they might already be full. Whose calendars are already filling up? You know, they're, they're full up with um, visits to family members, carol services, school productions, and, of course, OFC hampers. Nice plug. Don't forget, here's your calendar. You can fill it in with your OFC camp. You can fill in everything else around it so that you're not getting two things aren't uh, clashing. And it's simpler for you kids. Hands up all the people are still in, in school in the room. Now, there's some of you are being very shy, and I know to look at you, you're still at school, and teachers as well, actually. So you're in the countdown for the last days of school, aren't you? How many days is it the school finishes? Has anybody counted? Ten? There you go, ten days. Ten actual school days? Seventeen, okay. 
Okay, there's a whole debate going on. I don't know. There's a few weeks anyway. Okay. But anyway, most children, they, they're counting down. They're, they're counting down for the last days because you're like, oh, we're nearly there. We're nearly there. Once we get out of school, then Christmas really starts. But let's not kid ourselves. Once you get your, your term exams over, you're not really doing anything at school anyway. But hey, I'm like, ooh. But it's nice. You get to anticipate Christmas all together at school. But for us adults, it can feel like it's only three weeks away. Anyone feel like that? I'm a wee bit like that. It's like, it's only three weeks. We've only got three weeks left. Now, are you a person who loves surprises? Cheryl Roberts is the surprise queen of, the o of VCD. Are you a person who loves surprises, or do you enjoy the anticipation and build up for something? I'm definitely the latter. I love looking forward to things. It's my favorite part of Christmas, looking forward to it, planning all the wee bits for it, planning my menus. I always get disappointed because the boys just want the same food. I was asking yesterday, do you want anything different for a starter? No. I'm like, okay, we're doing the same starter we've done for the last 15 years. That's all right. Um, but I love it. I love the anticipation. I love the planning. I love that, that I'm looking forward to something that each day I'm getting closer and closer. In this season of your life, what are you looking forward to that can't come quick enough apart from Christmas? What is it that you're counting the days for? What are you hoping for? See, many, many years ago, there was a people who waited and hoped for the Messiah to come. They were waiting and waiting for the Messiah to arrive, and they lived their lives with great expectation. Some people did, and yet there were others who gave up walked away, and just got on with whatever. But there's always been this group. There was this group who waited and lived like this could be the day that the Messiah came. If you'd like to turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to meet two of these people who waited with great expectation for the Messiah to come. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. We're probably all there now. I also have it on the screen because some people like it on the screen. Okay. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Who wouldn't be if there was a big angel standing beside you? But the angel said to him, this is always very funny, I think, when angels say this, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel 
to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Elizabeth and Zechariah are living their lives in this moment. When the angel appears to them, they are living their lives in this moment as if God is still keeping his promises. They are living their lives waiting for the Messiah. God is still on the scene, even though things seem very quiet. They are good people, blameless and serving God, yet childless. See, at this time, there was no medical explanations. So women were, were to blame because they couldn't conceive. This was the general consensus of this time and in this culture. So in this culture, people would conclude that if you couldn't conceive, it was because sin had caused your barrenness. So I love it that Luke, the writer of this gospel, he takes the time and records that Zechariah and Elizabeth did not violate any stated commandments. He says they were blameless people, and so the reader's minds would automatically go back to Abraham and Sarah, righteous, yet Sarah couldn't conceive. Isn't that a lovely kindness of Luke in writing that? He's like saying these people are not barren because of any, any sin or fault of their own, as would have been the culture's conclusion. He says, no, they are righteous and they observe my laws, the laws of God. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they didn't allow pain to control their world or shrink their hearts or govern their faith. See, their faithfulness to God was based on a promise 2,000 years ago in their time. Not 2,000 years from now, but 2,000 years from before, whenever they were living, that the Messiah was coming. Starting from Abraham and a promise that God, through him, would send the hope of the world. For 2,000 years, they were carrying on this promise and this anticipation and this hope that the Messiah would come. Right way back, so from Abraham, then there was David, and then Solomon. And Solomon, there was a golden age of Solomon's time. If you read about the King Solomon, it was a whole time of what's described as shalom, which is really, shalom is more than peace. It's things exactly as they should be, is my best definition of what shalom is. So people would have expected Jesus to come then. The Messiah would come then in this perfect time, this reign of Solomon that was as close to perfection as you could get on the earth. They would expect Jesus to come then, but the Messiah didn't come then. After Solomon's reign, the nation split. And after that, if you read the, the, book of, the books of Kings, Kings 1 and 2, it goes good king, bad king, good king, bad king, good king, bad king. The nation changed hands 25 times. 
They were exiled at one point into slavery to the Babylonians. And the idea that the world would be blessed through this nation of Israel was fading very fast. If we fast forward to 63 years BC, before Jesus was born, so 63 years before um, this time and this moment with Zechariah and Elizabeth, Jerusalem was captured by a Roman general called Pompey. Pompey enters the Holy of Holies in the temple where only the high priests could go once a year. And he walks into the place. And, and normally if you went in, you would die. But he walks in and he finds it empty and he walks right out again. The significance of that is that even the priests were no longer waiting in the presence of God. They'd stopped waiting. They'd stopped anticipating. Zechariah comes from a long line of priests whose parents and grandparents would have known this story. Many Jews turned away from their belief in God. Many of them turned away thinking it was over, but not Zechariah and not Elizabeth. Maybe many of them around them give up. Nothing is happening. Why don't you just enjoy the years you have left, Zechariah and Elizabeth? I've read this story so many times, as we all have. Any of us who've been around church, uh, most of us, if we've grown up in, in Northern Ireland and have gone through our schooling system, we would have heard the Christmas stories over and over and over every year. And this is one of them that we would have heard. And I often would give Zachariah a really hard time, I'll be honest. He flat out disbelieves what the angel is saying. Okay, thanks, thanks for showing up, but you're a wee bit late. You know, maybe 30 years ago, I could have believed that me and Elizabeth could have got pregnant. But like, it's like he's looking at the angel and thinking, really? Look at us. Are you for real? He says, we're old. We have no room in our lives for this now. Our best years are over. We have laid down that dream long ago, long ago. I mean, and if, but if I'm honest, would I be any different than Zachariah in that moment? You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't expecting any of this. Yes, they were devout people, but they were going about their regular business, and they were righteous in God's sight, observing Jews, keeping the law as a sign of the grateful devotion to God. But they weren't expecting to be part of the story. They were expecting the Messiah. They were still going around. They were waiting for the Messiah to come, but they never expected to be invited in to the midst of it. They would have lived outside Jerusalem, and like all priests, except the chief priests, whenever it was Zechariah's turn to come in and do his turn in the, in the temple, he would have came in, stayed in Jerusalem, and then did, did his term, whatever length of weeks or whatever it was, and then he would have gone back out. And on this occasion, when it's Zechariah's turn to come in and be part of the, the priestly duties in the temple, he was uh, appointed by Lot to go into one of the inner courts, not the very inner, inner court, the Holy of Holies, but into one of the inner courts to offer incense. Here's what I want you to see. Sometimes regular duty provides a vehicle for extraordinary visions. Two things strike me about this story. For Zechariah, he is simply going about his everyday work. This is his everyday work. 
This is what he would have been trained from. This is what he would have watched his father do, his grandfather do. This was his everyday work. And he's going about it with great reverence and diligence. And I would imagine that it was in this everyday normal place. It was an everyday normal place for him. But in that everyday normal place, this extraordinary encounter happens. How often when we're going about our everyday, ordinary, mundane lives, do we expect an extraordinary encounter with God? How often when you're in your workplace, or you're in the kitchen, or you're in the gym, or you're doing whatever it is you're doing, your everyday, ordinary, what does your Monday to Friday, nine to five, what's your Saturdays, your Sundays, your normal life, what does it look like? And how often do we expect God to turn up in an extraordinary way in our everyday, ordinary lives? I think this is what we can learn from, this is one of the things that we can learn from the story and from this life of Zechariah. The second thing that strikes me is that Zechariah seems to forget where he is. He seems to forget where he is. He's going about his everyday work, but he seems to forget that where his everyday ordinary work is, is right in the center of where all of Judaism believed the presence of God was. He was doing his everyday ordinary work right in the presence of God. So you would think he would be expecting God to show up, wouldn't you? If there was anywhere you were going to expect God to show up, or in any kind of supernatural way, you would think it would be right in the presence of God in the temple. That's where you would expect him to show up. But here's some context for us. By the time Zechariah and Elizabeth are alive, and in this moment in Scripture, it has been 400 years since God has spoken to his people Israel. For 400 years, there has been no prophets, no angelic encounters. There has only been silence for 400 years. So that's why many expected God, had stopped expecting God to show up. And into this silence, into this silence after 400 years, into this silence, into this most extraordinary of places, into the, the holy temple where people should be expecting God to show up, with this ordinary man, Zachariah, going about his ordinary work and his ordinary day-to-day, -day, into this moment, the supernatural presence of God through Gabriel the angel turns up. Wow. And into this silence, the angel appears to, appears to Zechariah, and he is stunned. My goodness, who wouldn't be stunned? Let's be honest. If you go home tonight, and just before you go to bed, right, you looked in the corner of your room, and there was an angel. What would you say? What would you do? I reckon we would all be a wee bit afraid, maybe. Or maybe some of you are way more spiritual than I am. And every night before you go to bed, you that's the exact thing that you're praying for is an angelic encounter. And that's not a bad thing to pray for. But it's, you know, we can sometimes, this is, this is what I picked up from this. We can sometimes, just like Zachariah, we can be in God's presence. We can be doing the right things. And yet we can be surprised, stunned, and unbelieving when he shows up and speaks to us. 
Sometimes when God breaks in in the supernatural, when his Holy Spirit comes in power, when his Holy Spirit comes and things all get a wee bit like, oh my goodness, is that really the Holy Spirit or what is that? Sometimes in those moments, even when we're in his presence, even when we're gathered around the presence of Jesus, around scripture, around worship, and we're gathering around his presence, even in those moments, we can still be surprised when he actually shows up. But we shouldn't be. See, when we gather here every Sunday in this moment, we are anticipating that God is going to break in. Every Sunday. Every time his church gathers together, whether it's in a room like this or whether it's in someone's home, whether it's wherever, wherever his people are, where two or three are gathered, I am in the midst. Every time there is an opportunity and there's an anticipation and an expectation that God could break in. Every time. Zechariah is doing the ordinary in an extraordinary place. God's presence is an extraordinary place when we anticipate an encounter with him. And God's presence can invade the most ordinary places that we find ourselves in. Look, the writer of this gospel is not trying to dress up the story of Zechariah and make him out to be some great hero of faith. Like some of the Old Testament leaders, his first reaction to the news is to clutch at straws. He's saying, I need a sign. Angel, I need something. I, I, like, yeah, again, if I was being a bit mean to Zachariah, there's a big angel standing there. Is that not sign enough? No, he's like, but I need you. But yet, do you know what for Zachariah? The news that he was giving him was more astonishing than seeing an angel. The news that he, at that age, could have a baby was more astounding to him than seeing an angel standing in the room. Zechariah was still expecting that God would show up and then the Messiah would come as promised. But this part of it, that they would have their own child or that they would be part of the Messiah's story, I don't think they ever dared to believe that or dream it. He's given a sign. He asked for one and he's given it and it comes as a punishment. And you can almost see the angel putting his hands on his hip, can't he? And saying, all right then, you don't believe me? I'm going to sue you. And he says, okay, I'm going to strike you dumbless, speechless, dumb. Yeah, I'm going to strike you dumb. You're going to be speechless. And can you picture the scene where the old priest comes out of the temple and he's trying to communicate to people? It's a wee bit like we had um, a games night at our community night on Monday night and we were trying to play heads up. Oh my goodness, we should have been videoed. Oh, we were. Let's hope that's been deleted from somebody's phone. Um, but like, could you imagine all the hand gestures and everything and trying to communicate that he couldn't speak and what happened? Like, how would you describe an angel with your hands? Anybody want to give it a go? Like, how would you possibly do that? But the account finishes with the happy news and the confirmation of what the angel has said and Elizabeth's joy as she finds out that she's pregnant. Many of us in this room have faith to believe that God can and still does miracles. We have confidence in the faithfulness of God that he will never leave us. We have confidence that our salvation is secure. But many of us, how many of us really believe that God wants to come right into the midst of your life? Do you know what I mean? It's like we can believe for others 
We can believe that God will come and do this for someone else. We can believe that he would invade someone else's life. We can believe that he would bring someone else right into his story. But how many of us actually believe that he would come and he would invade right into the center of our lives? We pray your kingdom, your kingdom come, God, on earth as it is in heaven. And we anticipate that it does. But how many anticipate that God is inviting us into the fulfillment of that prayer? How many of us actually believe that we are worthy to be part of God's story? See, we can believe just about, can't we? We can just about accept his grace that brings us into family. But I think sometimes it's harder for us to imagine that he would invite us to be right into the part of history. That he would bring us right into the center of seeing his kingdom come here on earth now in our lifetime. I would describe us as a church and as you lovely people on a whole, like Zachariah and Elizabeth, good people, pretty blameless, and serving God. That's how I would describe you. I would say that we are a church who expects God to show up. But I think like Zachariah, many of us can see how God will intervene in others' lives, that he would use someone else. But we find it harder to believe that he would bring us into this redemption story. So what are you anticipating? When we gather around the presence of Jesus, as you go around your normal day, are you anticipating an assignment or a divine encounter with God? I love what Jason said the other week when he was talking about prayer, and he says that prayer is more than just a list of, of us even, of things that we are wanting, or even us waiting for a list of instructions from God that we are going to carry out. But actually, prayer is an invitation into a deeper relationship with God. God, through this angelic encounter, is inviting Zechariah into a deeper place of relationship and trust. I mean, God is putting his trust in Zechariah and Elizabeth by inviting them into the story of his son Jesus here on earth. If you hear nothing else this morning, this is what I want you to hear. God trusts you. God trusts you to be part of his story. Let that sink. He doesn't just love you. He doesn't just lavish his grace on you, his forgiveness on you. He trusts you to be part of his story here on earth. That's what it means to be a son and daughter. That's what it means to be a son and daughter of the king. That's what it means. And as we gather here tonight to pray, we will be asking God to come and bless our town and this whole area. And we will be asking God to trust us with the renewal of all things, to see his kingdom come here. This is not just about OFC. OFC is a small part, it's a small thing that God has invited us into in a practical way, how we get to help the poor and the broken and those in crisis in our community. But it's more than that. We want to see God's kingdom come in Dungannon. We want to see this place renewed. We want to see God's redemption flow through the streets. And we just don't want to see it in Dungannon. We want to see it here near and far. We want to see it in, with the refugees in Cali. We want to see it with our friends in India, with Leanne and Avanish and our Regenerate Projects and those churches out there. We want to see it with Rhonda in Uganda. We want to see God's kingdom come everywhere where he has put our hands. We want to see God's kingdom come. The story of proclamation of baby John was the conversation before the conversation. It was a wee bit like, 
the support band before the gig, you know, when you go to see a, a who even, do you know, we, we do now, we're really bad now in the day of internet. We actually check what time the main band's coming on and we don't even go and see the support acts. Isn't that awful? Do you know the main reason? We're too old and we can't stand that long. It's like we're just too tired, so we're just, especially if we've got standing tickets, we're like, we're not taking any chances. We'll just go and see the main gig. But that's what this is a wee bit like. This story is preparing us for the even more remarkable conception of Jesus. See, God regularly works through ordinary people doing what they normally do, who with a mixture of half faith and devotion are holding themselves ready for whatever God has in mind. I love that. Are we holding ourselves ready for whatever God has in mind this Christmas, this Advent season? Would we hold ourselves ready for whatever God has in mind in your streets, in your schools, in your workplaces, in your families? The story is about much more than Zachariah's joy at having a son at last or Elizabeth's happiness in being freed from the gossip and scorn of the mothers in the village. It's about the fulfillment of God's promise and purposes. But the needs, the hopes, the fears of ordinary people are not forgotten in the larger story of God. He sees us. He sees you. Just like he trusts you, he sees you. He knows what you need. He knows the dreams and the 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 long prayed for things and hopes in your life that you've maybe laid aside because you think, God, it's too late now. Don't ever think it's too late with God. It's never too late with him. God is longing, longing to break in. What a story this is of Zachariah and Elizabeth. It is a story of life is hard, but God is good. This is a story of reaching beyond the pain. As I was thinking this morning, I was thinking of what if every time we gather, I love the, the idea of Zachariah going into the temple in this extraordinary place, but yet it just became ordinary. And sometimes as we go around our lives and we gather around the presence of Jesus, whether that's in your own quiet time, whether that's here, whether it's in your community group, whether as we go and serve, it's in the prayer room, wherever it is that we gather around the presence of Jesus, what if we began to anticipate that he would show up? Really anticipate, expect that he would come in supernatural ways. And I think of um, people in the, in the history of the church, big church and our church, and I think of William Wilberforce and how he abolished slavery. And we look back at him, at that man who abolished slavery, and we think, wow. But it's somewhere along the line, that man had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, the encounter with Jesus that changed his heart began to change his actions, and he led a whole liberation movement. He was just an ordinary man like the rest of us. I think of Rhonda Smith in Uganda. Rhonda, many a time, sat in the presence of God. God spoke to her over years, over times, over moments, calling her, whispering to her, planting the seeds of mission, and um, opening the doors for her, all those things. And all the time, Rhonda just kept faithfully saying yes, faithfully saying yes, faithfully saying yes. And now she's in Uganda, bringing life to so many people out there. But it began in the presence of God. Louise Campbell, who don't think's here today, but Louise Campbell, God began to speak to her about prisoners 
over a series of time, he began to speak to her over and over about prisoners. And it got to a stage where she just couldn't settle and she couldn't rest. And she came to see me one day with her sketch pad and she talked me through all these sketches and paintings and pictures and things of, of what God was saying to her. And, and now, I mean, she, she has opened the door for us to minister in prison. Cheryl and some other volunteers get to go and lead Alpha in our prisons. Isn't that amazing? That all began with one, one young woman hearing from God in his presence and stepping into what he was inviting her into. What is God inviting you into? This Advent season, are we anticipating that God is inviting us into a bigger story? That he is trusting us with this huge redemption story? This anticipation of the second coming, this all things new, that actually he's inviting us to be part of that bigger story. 